Uh, today we start a new sermon series and we'll be working through uh, the book of Ephesians. So if you want to read that through the week, uh, each week we're going to take a chapter, uh, Ephesians 1 today, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way through Labor Day. And so um, we're going to look at who Christ says you are. The early church needed to know this. This was the place where Mother Mary, uh, Jesus' mom, and uh, St. John, the Apostle John, moved to post-resurrection and started communities there, uh, one of the very earliest uh, Christian communities. And so... Um, Paul, or disciple of Paul's, writes to them to let them know who they are in Christ and how to begin the church. So let's share in God's good word together. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Before you're born, people are telling you who you are. They're naming you. They're saying things about you. They're, they're speaking life or curse into your life. Even before you come out of the womb. How many of you have actually, you've seen online, there's all these new gender reveals. Sometimes it's a baseball or it's a golf ball or who, who knows what. Some of the funniest ones are the ones that get messed up. Like it's a, it's a balloon and, you know, who knows what uh, goes on. So here's the thing. Who are you really? Who are you really? Um, from the very beginning of life, from the moment we enter the world, people tell us who we are. It's a boy. I do not think this is Daxton approved. Do you? And he wasn't like, hey, yeah, put me in a hat. No, he, he says, hello, world, I'm Daxton. But Daxton doesn't have anything to say about that. Somebody else chose that for him. His name, what he wears, that it's blue, that it's white, that he's wearing the stocking cap. All of that is chosen for him. And people are putting those labels on him. And so in, in the best of sense, uh, these things lift up and create us and, and we have a, a strong identity uh, from people of love and forgiveness and grace around us, but that's not always true. From, from the very early days that we're born or in our family systems, you hear things like, it's a boy, or she's the smart one, or he's so quiet. Oh, oh you're the middle child. Well, they used to be the youngest child, at least for a while. So when you look in the mirror... What do you see? When you're getting ready for church this morning and you look in the mirror, what goes through your mind? What voice do you hear? What words about yourself go through your mind? And more importantly, what voice do you listen to? Because there's lots of voices around us in the culture and in our heads. So here's the question. Who are you? Who are you? Really? Now, there's a blank there. I invite you to, to do your best to, to put a word there. When I do funerals and we start to uh, talk to people, and we'll say, I'll say to the family, now, if you had one word to describe me, me, or papa, or brother, or sister, or child, what would you put there? And one of the things that's interesting as pastors, what I find out is that so often the word that you might put there for yourself 
is not nearly as lovely as the words that others around you would put. There's something about us. We, we don't want to be that person. We don't want to be too out there. But the things that people say um, in those moments, those first days after death, are some of the most lovely things so often. And I wonder, did you ever tell them that while they were living? Do they know that's how you saw them? People who were kind or generous or loving or a good listener, those sorts of things. So here's the question for us over these next six weeks. Who am I? You see, identity answers the question of who am I? That's what identity does. Who am I? There's also another question that we'll, we'll get to in the next few weeks, and that's of power. Power answers the question of what can I do? But friends, be really, really clear about this. They're not the same. Identity and power are not the same. And so often in our culture, we put aside identity and we simply go to power. We say, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And that changes, friends. You are not what you do. You are who you are and who you're becoming. And it's really important that you know that. Now, when I, when I speak to us as a collective, uh, the first thing I want you to know, certainly when Paul or a disciple of Paul was writing to the early church in Ephesus, he was never speaking to you as an I. He was speaking to you as a we. Or in Oklahoma, we'd say he was speaking to you as a y'all. If we're in Texas, we'd say he's speaking to all y'all. Right? So there is really no I in the Christian church. Right? You are not merely an I. You're more than that. You're a we in the most urgent work. That's what the scripture says, that you are a we. So that uh, actually in the earliest of churches, um, believers were not even allowed to read the scriptures on their own because it could be so defeating. Because they understood in ways that we do not in the West, particularly in North America, that you can't really understand who we are as the people of God unless you understand us as the people of God and not simply a single hearer of the word. You can't understand you are, who you are outside of community because who you are is made up of the people around you. The relationships that you have, it's a part of who you are. You are a we in the most urgent work. Now, when the Bible says that you're, you're a part of this most urgent work of Christ, what is that? What work is that? Well, it's the work of Jesus who is eternally and tirelessly bringing everything and everyone together. It's really important that we understand that, that the work of Jesus is to bring together every tribe, every nation, every time on earth and in the heavens and in the universe. All of that comes together in Christ. Now, the world is trying to do the exact opposite, isn't it? We love to identify and separate and put over and under. And, and we love to identify and, and set apart and say, no, this is that and this is this. And these people are over these people and these people are over these people. Those folks are under those folks. And what you find if you live long enough is that sometime you're under and that makes you miserable. Or you're over and it makes you prideful. And if you're just barely under and you think you might get to be over, then you're really excited. And if you're just barely over and you know you're going under, you're paranoid. And it, it blows up your life. And Jesus says no to all of that. And he says, I'm going to bring everything together. That's who Jesus is. Now, if we're going to know who we are, um, sometimes you have to know who you're not. And so we'll start there. So who we are not. There's lots of lies in the culture. There are lots of people that say all sorts of things about you. Some are true, some are not. So who we are not. This is particularly troubling for me uh, because most of you uh, know me as Pastor Mark. Well, friends, I'm more than that. I'm not only my vocation, right? Uh, Chantel didn't marry a preacher, but she's got one now, right? So um, I'm not only Pastor Mark. Certainly my mom and my dad and my sister and my cousins, they don't think of me as Pastor Mark. I'm more than my vocation. Aren't you more than your vocation? Oh, please say yes. 
I want you to be more than your vocation. God wants you to be more than your vocation. You're not simply uh, what you do. Now, in, in our culture, though, um, when you're at a dinner party or you're out or you meet someone, they'll say, well, tell me about yourself. And what do you tell them? What you do. And that's why retirement is such a heartache for so many. Because when they retire, now they don't know who they are. Because all they've ever told anybody is what they do. You see the problem? You don't want to get caught there. So you are not only your vocation, but this is what we learned from little bitties, right? In the kindergarten, we'll do this. Let's play, play kindergarten, for example. Uh, who's this? It's a, come on, you can be better than this. It, it is a, it's a pilot, right? Or who's this? It's a doctor or a PA these days um, or an actor who's playing a doctor. We don't know, but it, it, it's a doctor or right? it's a marine general, right? These, these are things that people do. Or it's a mom. But here's the thing. We are not what we do. Say that with me. We are not what we do. We're not. You're not. You're much more than that. You're not simply what you do. Now, now let, me, let me get a little deeper here at the, the risk of a fist fight breaking out after church. We are not only our political affiliation. We're not. And this is so important, friends, because even 10 or 20 years ago, uh, Democrats and Republicans were only five to six points differenti- differentiation uh, between major uh, policies uh, in America and around the world. Single-digit differences uh, with most policy. Today, uh, the people who are doing the same kind of surveys, when they'll talk to Republicans, uh, they will get this answer for real, that if the Democrats get elected, that the church is in harm's way, or, or the, the, the United States is in harm's way. And, and the opposite is true, that the Democrats will say, well, if the Republican Party when party is in power, the, the country is in, in you know, dire straits. It, it's, it's gotten to that point uh, and so often. Now, here's, here's the problem with that, of course, is that you're going to be miserable every four years or every six years or every two years or however, however it is. And the parties don't really mean much anymore, quite frankly. Let me, let me show you why. Is this guy Republican or Democrat? Come on, seventh grade civics. He's Republican. Republican, okay? How about this guy? Republican. How about that guy? Republican. How about this guy? Those guys. Republicans, right? How about this guy? No, no, Republican, right? Okay, so across the board. Now, now so at this point, then you have to say, well, what kind of Republican are you? Are those guys the same? Are, are all those the same values? No, not by a long shot. And so now you have to say, well, I'm a Reagan Republican, right? Well, he's dead. Right? So, so it doesn't really help, right? Because the, the, the party label doesn't mean the same thing over time. It changes, right? Same thing's true on the Democratic side. Anybody know who that is? Right, that's the New Deal. That's a certain kind of Democrat. Or this kind, right? Or this kind, right? Or this kind. Or that kind, right? Or this kind, right? Across the board. These are not the same people. The values are not the same. So when you say I'm a Democrat or I say I'm a Republican, what does that mean and which one are you picking? And what do you mean by that? So now there's all these subcategories. And so you are much more than your political affiliation. You have to be. Our world needs us to be. Now, let me just go ahead and step all the way in it. You're more than your nationality. Now, I'm a patriot, friends. I'm an Eagle Scout. I know my civics. I know them forwards and backwards. I know government. I love my government. I pray for my government. 
regardless of who's in power, by the way. Right? So I prayed for Carter. I prayed for Ford. You know, for his motor uh, skills. And, uh, you know, Nixon, Obama, all of them. Right? Praying for all of them. Because that's what Christians do. We pray for our leaders. Because they need Christ's power. So, we are our nationality. It's part of us, but it's not all of us. So let's have some fun with flags. Right? So y'all know this one. It's the United States. Yes. You know this one? Are there Christians in China? Yes. Many scholars now believe more than in the U.S. They just happen to be underground. And my neighbor that lives about three doors down, he goes back to China to, uh, this year, um, and he starts churches underground all through China. Just amazing, amazing work. The stories that come out of Christ's movement um, throughout uh, China. Amazing things. Y'all know this one? Great Britain, right? And this, this might be a little harder for some. South Africa, right. So, are there Christians in all these different places? Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're baptized, you belong to all these flags. You do. All of these are our flags. If you're a baptized Christian all around the world. Now, so people have argued about political affiliation. They've, they've argued about nationality. They've certainly argued about sexuality of late. Friends, you're not only your sexuality. You're more than that. One of the saddest things that I ever see are old people trying to be sexy. It's gross. Right? I mean, it's just weird. It's like, you don't want to see that. Like, you, gotta, you, gotta, you don't want grandma being sexy. Like, be grandma. Right? So, maybe I'll feel differently later. But, but right now, <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? There, you've got to be more than that. It's gotta, you've got to be more than this. And, and, and not that I'm trying to start fights at home after church, but I want you to know what Jesus says about our sexuality, about our relationships. When, the, when folks ask Jesus about this, this is what he said. In the resurrection, we neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, the church has spent a lot of time, particularly our tribe, has spent a lot of time arguing about marriage. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. If you're part of the resurrection, that's not even going to be on your purview. What you want to worry about is the relationship with the Father. Because when you stand in front of the glorious God, there's nothing that compares, not even your closest, most intimate, most lovely relationship. Now, that's not to say that you won't recognize your spouse or recognize your kids or recognize grandma in heaven. And I'm not saying that. What Jesus says about this is that is not primary. Even your closest marital relationship is not primary. In the resurrection, it will pale in comparison to the very sight of Almighty God who made the heavens and the earth. It won't even be a deal to you because you'll become like Christ and you'll love everyone equally. You're going to love everybody. You're going to be so filled with the love of God, it won't matter. And I know this is hard for, for many of us to kind of get our minds around. But what Christ offers us is something greater even than those closest loving relationships we have. So we are not our family system. We are not our hobbies. We are not even our sports team. <gasps> You're really not. Sports, by the way, gives us identity and power. That's why we love it. Because it allows us to say we have our own colors, our own flags. Uh, it gives us a sense of mastery. And so that's why we love it. Now, as a kid, and this, this is important to me that you know this, in second grade, there was God, Jesus, and this guy. Right? Tom Landry. Uh, I loved him for many reasons. One, it's, it's what, called what? It's America's team. Right? So you, you don't get more, you know, more American than watching the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving. 
and hoping that they win, that they beat whoever they're playing. And so, that, I mean, that's just great. And I would have the little helmet, I have the little jersey, you know, and I don't, this is the dumbest thing I may have ever done, but it's so cool. I'd make my friend wear a Miami Dolphins helmet, I'd wear the Cowboys helmet, and we would play football, me against him. I would hike it to myself and run and score. And he would do the same. You've seen little ones do this. It's just, it's great. It's great fun. And they went to the Super Bowl. They would play the Steelers. They would do the Super Bowl shuffle. And, and you know, this guy was fantastic. His name's Roger Staubach. And, I mean, everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. It was just, oh, so good, so good. And as they did these songs, they even had cool names like Too Tall Jones. That's Too Tall Jones. I mean, nobody has cool names like that. Too Tall Jones. You ever know anybody named Too Tall? See what I'm saying? I mean, this is the greatest team of all time. Tony Dorsett. Oh, just lovely and just just great and then uh, my dad graduated from southern methodist university in dallas in 1959 i uh, went there uh, in 1993 and i thought yes i'm gonna go see america's team it's gonna be so great and and tom landry who's now passed uh, was a sunday school teacher uh, in the church and he spoke i even got to to meet him and he's super tall and super nice and everybody calls him coach it was just the most amazing thing and while i was there um this guy showed up now, as an Oklahoma State grad, you hate that guy because he put us on probation, right? And then he goes to Miami, wins a national championship, puts them on probation. And then he goes to the Dallas Cowboys. Like, he should have just been banned, right? I mean, leave the schools alone, kill the coaches. Not really. I'm a pastor. But, you know, you know this, like, like, this is a terrible guy. And there was only one guy as an Oklahoma State fan you like worse, you know, like less than that. And then he became coach. And so, um, for us, I now live in Dallas I don't want to go because the yuckies took over. I'm like, ugh, it's not really America's team. It's really just whatever that is, right? And so even the things that you think are like core to who you are as your family system, they change, don't they? Things that are important to you as a little one aren't important to you as an adult. I don't really watch NFL anymore. Once he came around, I was like, I'm, I'm done. That was it for me. So here's what I want you to know about all this. I bet it's true for you too. What we do changes, doesn't it? What we do changes. Who we are lasts forever. Will you say that with me? What we do changes. Who we are lasts forever. So who we are becoming is the most important thing about us. Because that's what lasts forever. That's what goes on to heaven. That's a, eternal life is whoever you really are. So you have to ask yourself the question, am I more loving this week than last week? Am I more patient this week than last week? Am I more kind this week than last week? Am I, do I look more like Jesus? Do I sound more like Jesus? Do I do the things of Jesus more this week? than last week or last month or last year. Does it make sense? It's about who we become. So how do we find out who we are, really? How do we do that? Well, in Ephesians, in, in the message, it says it very clearly. It says it like this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ. You can't do it otherwise. And, and this was true even in the first church. Um, so here, here's a map uh, of Ephesus. It's right here. Um, I was there about two years ago as I visited our workers, uh, Michael and Stephanie. They live there. Um, and I'll, you'll notice that when Jesus from the cross tells John, take care of your mother, meaning his mom, and, you know, Mary, this is your son, they either walked it up and over or they took a boat over. And they're very close to Greece and Athens, uh, to Italy and Rome, and all of this would have been under Rome's authority. It was also um, very cosmopolitan. Uh, they, had all, they had sports, they had theater, they have a coliseum, they had a great library at Selchuk, um, all these sorts of things. And they also had you know, all the sexy stuff that port towns have. They had a temple to Artemis. 
uh, and Artemis uh, was, was a goddess, and she had lots of power, uh, particularly around fertility and those sorts of things. And so even if you go there today, uh, you can see uh, you know, renderings of her. Um, and, of course, she has like 300 boobs, which is awkward as a pastor. They're handing them out and giving those things out. But this was what everybody wanted you to know, that if you worshipped Artemis, she could feed you, she could take care of you, she could make you fertile. If you wanted your crops to grow, go to her. If you wanted to have kids and lots of them because you needed them for the fields or whatever, go to her. She had everything taken care of for you. Now, I want you to see what happens to Artemis and her great, mighty, magical temple. It's nothing. There's just one pillar left of the whole thing. Um, it used to be one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Today, it, it, you know, it doesn't really look any different than a city dump. Um, it's just that the, the buildings in the background don't have anything to do with it. It's just the ruins here. And that's it. Now, what's interesting about this is if you would have asked the people of the day what was going to last, what was going to be around a thousand years, they're going to say Artemis. She was a big deal. And they would say the church would not be, that Rome would be. Um, and, and I would remind you that Caesar was worshipped as a god, right? Because they were all about nationalism with Rome, right? And so they figured Rome would be around, Caesar would be around, Artemis would be around, not these tiny little Christians that worshipped a Jewish carpenter. They figured they would be long gone, but they're the, you know, we're here. We're here today. And between uh, these ruins is a road between Artemis Temple and Ephesus and the Colosseum and, and also um, the Basilica of St. John, the Apostle, and the Basilica of Mary. Because the church grew and flourished, even with all these other voices around them. And the scripture says it's in Christ that we find out who we are, really. And it's in Christ that we live forever, and the church lives forever. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. Before the creation of the world, actually. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in, say those with me, everything and everyone. Everyone. Wherever you are around the world. Now this is important because when is Christ doing this work? Here. This is an actual photo from NASA of the Hubble spacecraft, right? From before the beginning of the universe, Jesus was at work. God and the Father. Jesus and God the Father are one, the Holy Spirit, at work, bringing all things together, that you would be here today at this very moment to understand who you really are and to work to bring things together as Jesus did. So what, what continues to be true um, is the burial place of the Apostle John and that we, we talk about it today. The Christians were baptized there, nurtured in the faith. They received the sacrament and they taught the words of life of Jesus for a thousand years. The Basilica of St. John lasted for a thousand years. These other things did not. Uh, the columns are still standing from roughly 500 AD. Uh, it was an actual worshiping sanctuary for a whole millennia. Uh, and to the left was a chancel, the altar where the priest would bless the elements of communion that we'll take later. They're the same thing that they did then we do today where we receive christ and his power into our life for the transformation of the world um i took that photo uh myself i think with my iphone i'm very proud of it, it might be my best photo ever but i was able to walk these places and there's a sense of holiness and sacredness and power that's hard to describe but it's beautiful i did not have that sense at artemis at all uh, came and gone you see it's in christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for and that's the only way you can find out. But here's the thing that's really tricky about this and important that you know. You don't find out about it by belief or curiosity, but through obedience. That's the only way you find out. How many of you all know how to lose weight? You know in your heads. You know how to lose weight. You take in less calories than you expend. That's it. You don't have to read a book. That's it. That's the whole thing. 
How many of you all think that I know how to lose weight? How many think I have lost the weight? Clearly not, right? Well, why is that? Because you can't learn how to do that unless you're doing it through obedience. The same thing is true with so many things in life, isn't it? That you can think about it, but it doesn't change a thing. You can believe in it, but it doesn't change a thing. It actually takes your obedience to the action for you to figure out who you are, what you can do, what your identity truly is. So what does the Bible say about our identity, really? Who are we really? Well, the psalmist, thousands of years earlier, says this, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What are human beings that you're mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God. Other translations say divine beings or angels. And you crown them with glory and honor. Our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What you need to know about you is that you are above all of creation and just a bit lower than God, the angels, the divine beings. That's what God says about you. But the thing is, you have lots of other voices in your life, don't you? I have, and not all of them are good. Uh, When I was in 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and half of my 10th grade year, I was at Guthrie High School. Um, And I took biology under Mr. Rice um, in high school. Uh, My sister was a senior when I was a freshman. She had gone on to college, and now I was a sophomore. Um, And this was by far the hardest class I'd ever taken. Uh, In Mr. Rice's biology class, you had to know kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Um, and the reason I do it today is because I had to do it then over and over and over again. And he would simply throw out some characteristics of something. He wouldn't tell you what. And then you had to tell it. Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. He, I mean, it could be any plant or rock or human or mammal. You didn't know. He would just tell you. And I would study and study and study and study and study. And oh, it was just, it was terrible. Um, but, you know, I wanted to be a good, you know, Guthrie Blue Jay. I was, I was trying to keep up. And, um, and it came time that I got my logo, uh, back i got my test back and and mr rice as only mr rice could do you know how i don't know if they still do this today but they put in like big red letters like your your letter grade and the number and then they would circle it and and he would go down the row and he would put them you know on everybody's desk except when mr rice did it he would pick it up and like show it to the class and lay it on your desk and then show it to the class and like lay it on your desk so that everybody knew what everybody made that's just the way he would do it and when he came to me um I think 93 to 100 was an A in his class, and I, I made an 89. And I was pretty thrilled to survive uh, with an 89 on, on that midterm. And, um, and he takes that, and he kind of shows it to the class, and he lays it down. And then in his loudest voice, he goes, Mr. Foster, your sister Deborah's smarter than you are, isn't she? <laughs> she took my class a couple years. I think she made an A on this exam. I didn't think it was funny. And over the next number of years, that voice was in my head. And there was a good five years after undergrad that I wasn't convinced that I could actually go to grad school because I had Mr. Vo- Mr. Rice's voice in my head, that my sister was a smart one. My dad had a master's. My mom had a master's. My sister's super smart. She is smart. She may be smarter than me. That, that may be true. But what that did in my internal dialogue was I, I was planning to be the only person in my family system without a master's. I'd gotten my bachelor's and I was done with that and I was happy to do that and that was it. My dad had told me how hard he struggled with Greek when he got to his master's work and I was like, well, I don't think I can do that. I can't even get through Mr. Rice's class because Deborah's the smart one. She is. You see how that works? Do you have those voices in your head? You know, people say things to you. you. You know how somebody can give you like 40 accolades and yay and attaboys and yes and wonderful, but you have one person say something not kind and you just can't, it just gets put on repeat in your head. Does that happen to you? 
Yeah, it happens. Now, that, that's not that big a deal, um, but as I was preparing for this week, I came across a story uh, from Alex Seeley. She's now a speaker and a pastor. Alex says that she was the youngest of four children. One night, her mother was recounting the birth stories. They were all around. It was like kind of vacation time. They were all telling about how, what each child was like when they were born, the birth story, and how they came into the world. And, and after just this great fun time of describing the first three children and how they came to life in those first few days of life, she came to Alex, and she says, Oh, oh, honey. You're the mistake that was never meant to happen. She was five. Can you imagine that as a five-year-old, that that's the tape in your head, that you were a mistake that was never meant to happen? And that became her identity. That wherever she went, whatever she did, she understood herself as, as a mistake, not supposed to even be alive. Never meant to happen. The older siblings would laugh and, and play and cheer at this revelation that she was an oops Maybe you have that in your, your family system. Somebody's an oops, an oops of a little sister. And as Alex says, the enemy took that, the devil took that fracture and it put it on repeat in her head. And it made its way to her heart. And she believed it. And it would take years of intentional work to believe differently. She said the Holy Scripture in Psalm 139 began to change her, blessed her. Will you read it with me? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. For it was you who formed me, my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the book on you, friends. Wonderfully made. So who is Alex? A mistake? Or a child of God? Wonderfully made. God says a beloved daughter. Who are you? What voice do you listen to? What voice are you saying yes to today? You are wonderfully made by God. That's what God says about you. In Ephesians, it says, that's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the master Jesus, Paul says, and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you every time I prayed. I'd think of you and give thanks. But more than just give thanks, I ask. Now here, this will blow your mind. The apostle Paul, or disciple of his, Mary, Peter, all the rest, all the saints have gone before, they're praying for you to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing Jesus personally. That's the prayer of people from 2,000 years ago for you, that you would know him. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. You see, we are being prayed for by the saints. That's something the church has known for thousands of years, but you may have forgotten this. People are actually praying for you across time that you'd be here today and know your worth and know your identity. And all this energy issues from Jesus himself, from the Christ. God raised him from death, set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything, from galaxies to governments, no name, no power exempt from his rule, and not just for this time, but forever, forever, for you and for me. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on what? Everything. Never forget this, friends. If your prayers are like mine, I so often get worried about the tiniest things about a relationship or our local church or our denomination or our country. And God's like, are you kidding me? Really? I'm the Lord of all time. Of every universe. Of every planet, of every star, of every country, of every nation, of every time. You see, our future is secure forever because Jesus is Lord of all. Of all. Forever. And at the center of this, Ephesians 1 finishes up like this. Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. Hear this, friends. The world is peripheral to the church. 
The world will end. The church will not. This planet will go away. You will not. Who you are becoming will last forever for all eternity. Everything else passes away. Now, that'll blow your mind. It's worth working the rest of your life on this one. That the world will go away. The church will not. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts. Christ alive in you and in me by which he fills everything with his presence. So here's the great news. We are not alone. But we are led by Christ, our head. And we are the body in which he speaks and acts. So where Christ looks, we look. Where he goes, we go. And Jesus says that we have a heart, a soul, a mind, and a body to use in all of this. In Mark 12, 30, he says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and all your strength, which is your body, all of it. And we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, that all of that makes up your soul. Your relationships, your body affects your mind, your mind affects your spirit, your spirit affects all of it, and your soul, all of that goes on to heaven and lasts forever and ever. And one of the questions you have to ask yourself today is, do you like hanging out with Jesus? Because the answer is, if you don't like hanging out with Jesus now, you probably won't like hanging out with him later. And in heaven, you can't escape him because his presence is everywhere. It's really important about who we're becoming. So what are we to do with this information, this revelation of who Christ says you are? Well, Christ says it real simply. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater. If you want to work this out, love the people around you. That's how you do it. Uh, Bob Goff says it this way in his latest book. Say it with me. Love everybody. How often? Always. Pretty simple. Pretty hard to do. And you don't have to worry because you are a soul loved by God. That's what the prophet Ezekiel says. He says, behold, all souls are mine, says the Lord. Your soul is God's. You belong to him. You're made in his image and you are wonderful. So your action step is this. And I'll tell you why in just a second. I want you to pray for a particular church that is not Acts 2. I don't, I don't want us to be navel gazers here. I want us to know that we're part of something bigger. So maybe it's a grandma's church or it's a church or maybe it's our daughter church connect. Some church that's not us. I want you to pray for them. But I want it to be specific. I, I don't care. Go on the web and pick one. But just pray for them and bless them because we're connected to them, whoever that is. And I want you to know why that's, why that's so important. Friends, I would remind you that we're one of only two global denominations in the world. Us and the Roman Catholic Church. That's it. Everybody else is affiliated in some way. But we're actually connected. Our money, our time, our energy, it's all connected. And this week, during Bible school, um, I was coming back on Thursdays before the last Thursday night of Bible school. Uh, I come to the front office. And there's a woman, probably in her 70s, and she's distraught. I don't know her. I've never seen her before. She's never been here. But she's sitting right there in the front office. And I look, and Chantel's there taking care of her, and Brandon's there taking care of her. And I'm looking at them like, hey, what's going on? And they said, she's lost. She had gone to lunch with a friend in Oklahoma City, and she had started to go home like she'd always gone home. She found herself on a dirt road north of Waterloo. She didn't know how to get home. It's very scary for her. She had lost her husband earlier in the year. She was in deep grief. Just, just not clear as she had been before. She was scared. She had called her daughter who lived way on the east side of Oklahoma City, probably 40 minutes away. She was on her way. She had turned herself around and started to come back this way, and she saw an AT&T truck, and she says, aha. So she asked him where she was, and, and he tried to give her directions to home, but it didn't make a lot of sense, and traffic was lining up behind her, and so she had to keep driving. And so uh, she called her daughter and said, hey, um, I'm, I'm okay, but I don't know where I am. And then she saw this sign. 
Maybe you've seen it. It's the corner at Western and Covell. And her daughter said, well, stay where you are. And she said, no, I'm going to that church. She said, I saw that cross and flame. She's been, I've been a United Methodist my whole life. She's very active in her local church in a small town out west of here. And she said, I'm going there. I don't care what anybody says. That's where I'm going. I'm going to be safe there. I'm going to be okay there. They're going to take care of me there. So she drove the one mile to our church. She sat down in our, in our office, and she, she was right. We did take care of her. About 15 people asked her if she wanted something to drink. She said no every time. And her daughter was coming. And she, she told us this, that when she saw that cross and that flame, that she knew she was okay, that God had led her to our church. And everything was going to be all right if she could just get here, stay here. She'd be safe until her daughter got here. Now, I tell you that to tell you this, that if you follow the larger denominational story of our heritage, we're going to have some pretty bumpy meetings that come up in February of 2019. And there are people who say that maybe we shouldn't be together anymore, that there are pieces that should be over here, pieces that should be over there. But I want to tell you, as your pastor here, that when we have people that we've never met that can drive by and can look at that sign and they can say there's a cross and a flame and I know that God's going to take care of me here, that's worth something. It's important and it's powerful. And we're going to be here. Don't, don't you think that's worth doing? That, that they don't even know who we are, never been here, but they, they see that symbol and they know who we are and they know that they belong here, that they'll be taken care of here, that God is here and God will love them and care for them. That's who we're going to be. And we'll be here. Whoever comes and we'll bless them. Whatever age, whatever reason. And her daughter found her here. And they got home. I'm sure they're having some pretty difficult conversations about where the keys live and who goes where and how often. But the church was the church. Every tribe, every nation, every race, every place, every time. Will you do that with me? I pray that you will. Amen.